2: Ever have an investment that never seems to pay off? Well, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation could have well fallen into that category about 15 years ago when it started uh, investing and supporting a small biotech company in hopes, one of many, in hopes that they would develop a drug for a rare lung disease. Well, that investment, which ended up being $150 million, has paid off in a rather large way. Last week, the foundation sold the rights to the royalties to, uh, the, uh, to a drug for $3.3 billion. From one viewpoint, it is a great investment return. Others see it as a dangerous area to enter. Joining us to discuss all of this, Kat Ruschetta, who is the founding executive director of the Center for High Impact Philanthropy and an adjunct faculty of the School of Social Policy and Practice here at Penn. Also with us, Dr. Dennis Hagilia, Hagiliadis, excuse me, director of the Adult Cystic Fibrosis Program and associate professor at the Perelman School, and joining us on the phone, Arthur Kaplan, who is the director of the Division of Medical uh, Medical Ethics at NYU Langone Medical Center. Great to have all of you joining us here today, and an early Happy Thanksgiving to all of you as well. Thanks, to you. You. Thank you. Great to have you. Uh, uh, Kat, I'll start with you. This obviously, when when you look at the numbers, turned out to be uh, a, a very good investment for the CF Foundation uh, when you when you take it all into effect. But as I alluded to in the open, the the thoughts on whether to get involved in this are, are there. There's two sides to this, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I think there are a couple of. Uh themes that play out here in the cystic fibrosis foundation example, but are playing out in philanthropy overall. I mean, one is uh, organizations understanding, are there ways that they can make a financial return that are consistent with the mission of their organizations? Mm -hmm. And in this case, this was an extraordinarily large financial return on their early investment. The concerns are having money that as as an 501c nonpro- 501c3 nonprofit. You must use in order to serve your mission. Having money to do that is just one of three things you need in order to fulfill your mission. They've got more resources than they've ever had before. Great. Yep. There is now a drug available that wasn't before specific to the audience beneficiary audience that they are supposed to be support. Great, but the big concern is can they translate these financial resources and the existence of this drug into more care for cystic fibrosis patients so there's still a big access issue that people are concerned about.
2: Dennis, obviously, uh, being a part uh, of the the entire organization with cystic fibrosis, and we have a comment from uh, the CF Foundation's pre- president and CEO. We'll have that in just a second. But obviously, a- as an entity, as part of this, this ends up being uh, very uh, important to the operations that you do with uh, the adult cystic fibrosis program uh, as a part of that organization.
3: That's correct. Actually, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation has been supporting every program, pediatric and adult in the United States for the last, you know, uh, 50 years, if not more, I might be, you know, a little off on this. Uh, So they're providing, you know, support so that we can, you know, treat the patients the best that we can. Uh, And I know that, you know, anything that comes to them in some way is going to be tried, you know, to support either the patients direct, the uh, clinics directly that support the patients. In some occasions, they've supported, you know, the patients a little more directly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this medication only right now treats approximately 4% of patients. Yeah. Uh, and there's other, you know, medications that are on the way uh, that need to treat, you know, another significant part of patients. So there's going to be probably a lot more investment without being part of the cystic uh, sure. Fibrosis Foundation. I'm pretty certain there's going to be more investment to try and reach 100% uh, of the patients to make, you know, their lives better, to extend their lives. And this is only a first generation, there might be a need for further, you know, treatments to try and make, you know, everything to, towards a cure or a significant improvement in the disease.
2: This drug, Kalydeco, uh, which has uh, been out on the market, I guess, now for uh, two years, I guess, at this Almost point? Almost three. Almost three years at this point. Yeah. Uh, as you said, it only treats three to four percent of the uh. patients that have cystic fibrosis. Uh, so is it a, a, a first
3: step in the process to try and find a, a full cure? Yes. uh, The best way to put this medication for that group of patients, it so happens that it works very, very well. It's not a cure, uh, but it makes patients that have a severe, life-limiting, debilitating disease live uh, probably a lot longer and have less consequences from this disease. Uh, So for that group of patients, this medication is very, very good, but it's only the first step to a cure. Uh, The medications that are in development right now they are first-generation medications that if they get approved, they will reach more patients, but it will not be as good as this one in the beginning. Right. So we'll have a lot of steps to go forward to reach you know, the cure or to make this uh, a chronic but very, very treatable disease that's not life-limiting and it doesn't have the quality of life effect. So we're far away. This is only a, far, a first step.
2: Arthur Kaplan, obviously, this is a, a tricky area that uh, more and more... Uh, foundations are starting to get into, uh, from a medical ethics perspective. I just uh, let's start with your reaction to uh, the whole process, and obviously, uh, getting this large windfall.
0: Well, I think it's a overall a good strategy. I don't oppose these decisions by foundations and patient advocacy groups to start to fund uh, research to help their particular disease cystic fibrosis, per se, isn't an orphan disease, that is to say it affects a fair number of people, but this drug turns out to only affect a tiny percentage within that group. So in a way, what they've created is a specialized, personalized medicine for a tiny number of people. I'm not sure that was anticipated when they started. It could set off some discussion within the group, sort of saying, you know, you helped a small number of us and that isn't what we want we want a bigger footprint but you know in a way that's the nature of medical research you can't really predict in advance what's going to happen i think you'll see a couple of ethical issues come up if we agree that this type of financing makes sense one is pricing so can the foundation turn around and say hey it costs too much this drug is just priced too high do they have to subsidize the price or fight with the manufacturer to lower the price using their leverage as someone who's an investor to, instead of driving the price up, drive the price down? Because this one's pretty expensive. Um, you're also going to see people say in managing this uh, kind of an issue, if we have initial shortage of drug, who's going to get it as they ramp up? We, uh, You know, every drug that appears in these kinds of relationships, it doesn't start with a full supply. It starts out slowly. Yeah. Should the foundation get into programs about who's going first? So I think overall, probably can defend the relationship. A lot of diseases don't attract investors, so you've got to kind of invest in yourself. But you're going to have to learn how to manage these complicated questions about cost and access.
2: You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. We're talking about the uh, investment that the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation made several years ago, and it paid off in a very impressive manner last week, a $3.3 billion return on their investment from some 15 to 17 years ago. Now, we mentioned we received a statement from uh, Robert Bell, who is the president and CEO of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. I'll read it to you. It starts off, this is a transformational moment for people with cystic fibrosis and the entire CF community. These new funds give us a tremendous opportunity to supercharge our efforts to develop life-saving new therapies, ensure that the best care and resources are available for people with CF, and pursue daring new opportunities that one day may lead to a permanent lifelong cure for this disease. Kat, I'll, I'll play off of that because I think it seems like the nature of... Uh, these foundations seems to be transforming in the perspective of you can't count on just generic donations to help out your organization. You have to look to other avenues. A- and I say that because the terminology being used by CF is venture th- philanthropy. And mm-hmm. venture is, this is the true definition of a venture move. There's mm-hmm. no question about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. Um, the fact that they... They won. You know, this is the kind of payoff that whether you're a foundation or a venture capitalist, you you pray for, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, 200 times return on that investment. That's yeah. remarkable. Um, even some of the best financial investors can't claim wins like that. Uh, I think what is most interesting from our point of view at the Center for High Impact Philanthropy is they now have a level of financial resources they could never have imagined. Yeah. What are they going to do with it? Yeah. That that's the big question. How can they now use the financial capacity they have to address, you know, the issues that my fellow um, panelists have talked about—issues of uh, therapies, drugs for those who aren't going to be helped yeah. by Kaleido, access to treatments that can improve the quality of life. I mean, yeah. they, they now have an opportunity to work on those issues in the way they couldn't have before because of the level of financial capacity they now have.
2: And, and Dennis, obviously, when you're talking about budgets and stuff for, for an organization, obviously the budget for uh, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are, but as you mentioned, your organization was being supported by... The main CF Foundation, so they are responsible for a lot of facilities across the country. So they had a fairly healthy budget to begin with, but 3.3 billion dollars is just—it's off the charts to, to to think of not only the 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 avenues that you could potentially pursue with new research, but the length of time out that that basically this amount of money will cover research going
3: forward. I think that's the goal. I think the goal is to uh, go ahead and uh, find, you know, treatments that uh, treat everybody. They don't leave, you know, anybody behind. It's a little trickier, you know, I think, as you start going to the area of how you cover everybody, how you venture into, you know, basically being able to... Who's most important. Exactly, to go, you know, into this. Uh, And I don't think, you know, that they were choosing specific people when this happened, but when the research happened, it so happened that this was a very, very significant uh, preclinical hit if you want to say this so they went with the development of that medication
2: yeah art this this would seem to really open up the door for uh, a lot of other organizations to kind of take this I I hate to use the word gamble but but in some respects it is because of the fact that you're you're banking on the development of a drug which may be 15 years down the line mm-hmm. and 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 the numbers you know not every drug plays out Uh so,
0: that That's for sure. Remember, from success in animals to being available at the pharmacy, yeah. it's at least a 1 in 100 shot. Yeah. So these guys had a big winner. And you could see all the other foundations saying, yeah, let's start to invest in our own uh, diseases. Let's pursue relationships with startup companies. A lot of them fail a lot of them don't work out it's a gamble for sure and you really need sophisticated people to make the right choices just right. like angel investors and start startup funders do oftentimes those people spread their capital among a number of different diseases and a number of different companies to make sure that you know they get some return somewhere if you're just funding one disease it doesn't mean the science is ready to go despite the promises of a company so sure it's 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 really going to be interesting to see if everybody with the allure of $3 billion says, hey, you know, that's the future for us. And then you wind up having a fair number of disease organizations with no return and yeah. looking, you know, not in the black but in the red.
2: Yeah. So then who are the, those people, Kat, that, that are – the ones that can really help these organizations make these decisions on, on the companies, the, the biotech companies to focus on and, and the drugs to pursue? Who are those people?
1: I mean, to tell you the truth, we're talking about uh, a new area for most of these foundations. Yeah. I, I think the principle of um, using your money as a foundation and investing in a commercial organization, yeah. business, um, that's still fairly new. Sure. like So some people are just even considering, is this something that um, with our fiduciary responsibility we can a- even do, invest sure. in a for-profit? Yeah. Um, so while folks are still struggling with, is that the right use of our funds? Yeah. Um, there are folks who are trying to figure out how can we help folks do that, do that well, do that smartly, and some of it has to do with uh you need to have a lot of knowledge about the specific sector so sure. for example there um you know arthur mentioned it. it it takes a lot of expertise to understand what are the good bets yeah. in a particular <laughs> disease category medical philanthropy and that expertise is very different from what you would need to or, to understand what are some of the good bets in say real estate development if you're an affordable housing organization. So there's still a lot of expertise that needs to be developed before foundations can say with confidence, yeah, we're going to put this in our toolkit and we're pretty confident how it's going to pan out.
2: 1-844-WHARTON, 1-844-942-7866. We welcome your comments. Obviously, this worked exceptionally well for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, but is this a good avenue to look in general for foundations like CF? To make these types of investments, Uh, and obviously, as we said, it panned out phenomenally for cystic fibrosis. Now, cystic fibrosis is still just an incredibly horrible disease for people to have to deal with. And from this perspective, it it is—I can't even fathom the avenues that this could potentially open up in terms of the research and the development of drugs. But as you said, what's the next step beyond Kaleidico for— uh... that drug to build off of that and, and maybe find that next drug
3: Oh, there are multiple you know drugs that that night now in clinical trials at different stages and there's even you know other partnerships that are happening you know at the very early stages so for example there's a combination of kaleidicoin and another drug that has just completed phase three trials and we're waiting for fda to uh... decide on whether this is appropriate right for that would cover approximately forty five percent of patients which would be great right. great you know thing uh, then there's you know a next generation of that combination of compounds mm-hmm. to, that it's supposed to be a little more effective, hopefully. That is nearly earlier phase trials, and this might cover now not only the 45 percent better, but another 30 or 40 percent.
2: Having Caladco yes. now uh, up and running uh, in the in the public. Uh. Does that potentially speed up the process of the other drugs being developed because you have that
3: kind of as a known quantity already? I think what it does is brings other you know companies to the mix. Okay. Uh, so in the beginning, uh, and I'm going to start by saying that, I don't think you know that when they started with this investment, their goal was to make a windfall profit. Mm-hmm. I think their goal yeah. was to find. Uh, a cure or treatment for the disease, sure. Uh, and I think that's very important. Whatever you do, you don't try, you know, to make an investment to make the profit, but you are hitting, you know, your goal as a foundation to better the life of the patients that you are trying to serve in sure. the population. And if you know by doing that you manage, you know, to get the profit, that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, whether you know they didn't get the profit, you still would have Kaleido, even if it was a lower, you know, level of things. So this, you know, brings a lot of other players into the arena. Yeah. Uh, people are interested now because before even though CF is technically at the border of orphan diseases or a very big you know orphan disease if you want to call it you know that yeah. it's not you know big mm-hmm. enough to attract all the mega you know companies sure. to say uh, you know it's not called uh, treating cholesterol high blood pressure or anything like that. So right now you have a lot of players in there so there's a lot more research going on and plus you know that brings a proof of concept mm-hmm. that you know something like that like uh, Kaleideco, like Ivacaftor, can work and therefore you attract you know more people and more research into being able to do that.
2: Art, obviously, in terms of the timing, uh, when you think about the fact that, that, that CF has been involved with uh, these companies now for you know, 15, 20 years at this point, and the fact that we now have a drug that's been out there for a couple of years, from the timing perspective, I think people need to understand that this is probably pretty much the norm. The fact that it's been you know, 15, 16 years, whatever it might be, don't think that this is a slow process in terms of the development. That's that's kind of the norm or maybe even a, a little bit faster than, than how a lot of drugs do get developed.
0: Absolutely. Probably on average, 16 to 20 years from uh, laboratory idea to uh, clinical trials proving uh, safety and effectiveness in humans, the so-called phase three trials. It takes yep. a long, long time, a lot of data required. Down the road, as these drugs Uh, move into an area like CF you're also going to see I suspect some of them attuned to genetic differences the reason that lengthens the time processes it gives you fewer subjects because you're trying to focus on particular biological variabilities so you can't just test any CF patient Now you have to test particular ones or at particular stages in the disease long slow process by the way a lot of universities also try this mode of investment. That's why they build up their so-called technology transfer offices. They're hoping for the big windfall, too. But if you looked, of all the universities trying to bet on biotech, I'm going to tell you there's probably been 10 universities that have had windfalls like this out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of efforts. Um, It really is a long-shot strategy to get a windfall, not to get a return, but this kind of 200 percent, you know, return on your investment, boy, it's just rare as can be. Kat,
2: in, in terms of fundraising, when, when CF obviously is putting a lot of this money back into the research, what does that do to the other fundraising efforts? I mean, obviously, they, they still need to keep them going, mm-hmm. but does it change the philosophy of people that may have wanted to give to this organization say, well, you've already got $3.3 billion? I mean, it, it does have that potential to kind of backfire in that avenue.
1: Yeah, and and that's where uh, the foundation's statements about what it's going to do with this money and yeah. what it won't will be helpful with their fundraising. I mean, if you look at at whether it's a foundation like Cystic Fibrosis or the Gates Foundation in global public health, private philanthropy is still it's a drop in the bucket compared to the financial resources that are typically required to actually solve the problem, find sure. a cure. Yeah, um, so. There will still be a need for additional philanthropic funding, yeah. even with this windfall they've had. Um, what I'd like to see is uh, how can that funding help in ways that maybe the their strategy for use of the 3.3 billion dollars wouldn't. It yeah. sort of what difference will it make? I think that's the message they're going to have to make to their supporters: is that um, this is what we're doing with this money, and this is what we'd like your help for.
2: Sure. And obviously, Dennis, the, the fact that the the drug that's out there now at this is not uh, a drug that is uh, in a lot of cases for people. It is not a drug that is affordable because of the cost associated with it per year. Obviously, the hope is, is as you go forward with these other drugs that will be developed that those price points will be able to come down. and obviously it makes it a lot more manageable for people uh, who you know who are out there and need to have these drugs available to them.
3: That's absolutely the case. This is a very, very expensive, you know, medication. So far, uh, when you say it's not affordable, you know, to people, many times patients have been able, pretty much all my patients and the majority of patients have been able to get on the drug. Oh, okay, great. But at the same time, there's a cost associated with it. Whether the cost, you know, goes down to the insurance, to the Medicaid, to the Medicare, or somebody else, the cost is still very high. And even though, you know, the patient might not always see directly that cost, that cost is seen globally. So, you know, when you have 1,200 patients across the United States having to deal with this, that's an easy, you know, cost to absorb if you want to say. Yeah. Where I start talking about thirty thousand patients or, you know, some other disease and you start adding them up, then you need to find a way to bring the price down because otherwise it's going to, you know, spread to everybody and it's going to be, you know, much more significant.
2: So then that that three percent, three to four percent that you said earlier, how many people is that? That's about twelve hundred people in the United States at this point. Okay. And then if you factor that out globally, then you can you can do the math. Yeah. But but twelve hundred people
3: in the United States just alone. Yeah. It's I mean it's a starting point, isn't it? It's absolutely a significant starting point from our perspective. We have a long way to go. Despite all this progress, still we have a life-limiting disease. Yeah. I mean, the median life expectancy is about 40 years. For most of us, That's yeah. you know, too young.
0: You know, just to jump in on that, we don't know, but it would be very interesting to find out what role the foundation played before it sold off the rights in trying to drive the price down. Did it care? Were they yeah. interested? Did they think we'll get a bigger market valuation if... We let the marketplace set the price for these 1,200 people. I think it's very important that the foundation be transparent there because this model of investing, it isn't just finding cures. It's finding cures that are accessible to their membership or the the people that they're trying to help. And even if the costs get washed out into everybody's insurance, there's no doubt that government's going to turn around at some point and say, hmm, $100,000 of treatment. Yeah. You know, we don't think so.
2: Well, and that's that's obviously the next step to be wary of is, you know, if those numbers are too high, will the government step in and, and say, okay, listen, we need to we need to change this this thinking, Art. That 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 is the potential next roadblock to, to to cross.
0: I think it is, and I think you're seeing it in other countries where they have government negotiated prices. We are one of the few places that still, if you will, lets the marketplace set. The uh, pay that or the reimbursement you're going to get is uh, the companies negotiate with individual payers. But I'm sure, and Dennis can confirm this for me, the price that's charged in, say, Europe or uh, outside the U.S. is not the same as what they're going to get in the U.S.
1: And that's an interesting question for the foundation. Will some of that $3.3 billion be used uh, in campaign and advocacy efforts that can bring more affordable treatments to patients?
2: Sure. Dennis, you want to? Did you know in terms of the costs and such for overseas? I do not
3: uh, know specific numbers, mm-hmm. but I know that happens pretty much every time when you're negotiating Canada or the UK. Right. And I know there was a very long and drawn out process before you know this medication was brought in some of those, you know, countries. Sure. Because of those negotiations.
2: Kat, I would imagine yeah. that that because we're talking about a, an organization like CF, uh, that w- when people out in the community hear about the numbers that obviously they have they have gotten off of this there is obviously a, a a level of trust that is already built in amongst the community there I think sometimes when you when you think about venture deals uh, there there may be a little bit of skepticism just in general when you're talking about general venture deals out in the public. Mm-hmm. This probably doesn't have it as much because of the fact that you're talking about an organization that's been around for so long and has done so much good work. And, and, and there's probably a, that little level of trust maybe more so than in a lot of other places.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that it's as large as it is, so let's be clear, when you think of the nonprofit world in the U.S., the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation, given its annual budget, which is, um, you know, close to, uh, I can't remember what it is, several million dollars. Yeah, I think it's
2: million, like $15 million. $15 million. Like.
1: Dollars. So that already makes it an outlier in the world of nonprofits, yeah. right? It is a very large institution that's been around for a long time. Yeah. And most nonprofits and most foundations would never have $150 million that they could responsibly invest in a company without undermining their mission. So, yes, I think there's something – we can't sort of view this organization as representative of most nonprofit organizations. But it does raise questions for every foundation, which is um, do we have the patience to wait 15, 20 years for a potential payoff? Can we – absorb the risk, because even if we do have the patients, we may just find out after all this time that that money is not producing a cure, and instead it could have been serving clients another way. So those are the judgment calls that I think... Foundations are now going to have to think about as the implications from this.
2: Then, how much more do we? You think we see this ramp up? Let's say over the next decade. Obviously, it's it's probably going to go. It's going on now. It's probably yeah. going to go on more over the next decade.
1: I, I think these kinds of deals will ramp up because there's a growing. Um, appreciation yeah. that all sectors are involved in social impact. And yeah. what that's doing is making people think across sectors, partnerships like sure. foundation investments and, and for-profit. So I think this trend will continue.
2: And obviously for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, this has been an unbelievable win-win uh, to have the investment and obviously get the return uh, on the investment. So obviously going forward, Dennis, that that this really has the opportunity to to build some momentum over the next few years.
3: That's our hope. Our hope is, you know, to have a, a more of a series, you know, of medications and treatments that are going to help, you know, the patients and find ways to make them, you know, more affordable, more accessible, make everything, you know, basically better the quality of life and the length of life of those patients.
2: Thank you very much, everybody. Arthur, thanks for uh, okay, being on I the do, phone. Go ahead.
0: I, I was going to say, I think it's going to be, we'll see a burst of other foundations imitating, and I'll predict a lot of disappointments. This is a tough area to be sure.
2: in. Sure, yeah. Arthur, thanks for joining us on the phone from New York. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Great to have you. Arthur Kaplan, who uh, is from the uh, NYU Langone Medical Center. Uh, Kat, good to see you again. Great to to have you in the studio. Uh, Kat Rosquetta from the uh, the executive founding executive director for the Center of High Impact Philanthropy and an adjunct uh, faculty here at the University of Pennsylvania. And Dennis, thanks very much for coming in as well. Greatly appreciate the time. Thank you. Uh, certainly is uh, going to be a, a a really an interesting area to watch how this develops over the next uh, several years for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. For more business
1: news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn dot edu.